Welcome to The Talk at Revolution, where each week we explore what it looks like to find Jesus and live like Him in a practical way. At Revolution Community Church, we know that we are better together. Each week, we look to celebrate Jesus, connect with others, and contribute to the church, community, and beyond. If you'd like to connect with Revolution or take a next step, please visit us at revolutioncc.org or at our Logansport, Indiana campus located at 3930 East Market Street. And now, we hope you are encouraged and challenged by this talk. Make sure the volume's really loud at the beginning of that video to make sure everyone's awake for uh, for the talk. So, hey, so glad you're with us as we continue on this journey we started last week, emotionally healthy disciple. And we'll just we're going to dive right in because we have a lot to cover today. So hopefully you're ready. Maybe poke the person next to you if you're in the same family unit. Say, are you ready? Just let's let, we got to be ready for this, okay? Um, so ha- have you ever like seen a sign that said this? Enter at your own risk and ignored this sign. Maybe it was like a cave and, and you just, hey, we're, we're going to still explore this thing. Or um, a swimming hole where there's no lifeguard on duty, you know, swim at your own risk kind of thing. Anybody ever done that? Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Yeah, of course we have. Uh, or, or maybe it was your moody teenager's bedroom. Like that is an enter at your own risk kind of situation right there. Well, I just want to say up front, today... And, and really, the, the rest of this emotionally healthy journey that we're going to be on, um, all that we talk about, it's, it's kind of enter at your own risk. As we move ahead today and with the rest of the weeks, we're going to be thinking about things, talking through things, taking next steps that maybe we've never thought about, talked about, or taken before. And it's, it's not going to be easy. It's enter at your own risk. And, and for those online that are watching, I'm not sure, the light's not on, so I'm not sure which camera's live, but so I'll talk right here. It's going to be so easy for you to tune out if you're watching online, because all you got to do is flip the channel, or shut the laptop, or turn the phone off, or whatever. And uh, so I'm, I'm challenging you, don't tune out today. And for those in the room, you're somewhat trapped, because now if you get up in the next few seconds, people are going to think you wimped out, okay? So if you have to use the restroom, you might wait two or three minutes, so we're not questioning why you got up. But... Uh, it, it's not going to be easy, friends, but if we, can, if we can take this, I think, calculated good risk together, God has so much for us in our growth, our development, our maturity as disciples. So let me, let me catch you up really quick. If you, if you did miss week one, and, and this is going to just touch the surface. We don't have time to go into the details, so check it out. Like, watch last week's video if you missed it. But we, we talked last week about how there, there's just so much to learn and apply in being a disciple of Jesus. There's just an unlimited amount of things to think about and work through. And, and what, one of the mistakes we make is that oftentimes we, we disconnect in our discipleship journey. And by the way, disciple just means pupil, uh, follower, learner, apprentice. That'd be a great synonym for disciple. So we are an apprentice of Jesus. And on this journey, one of the mistakes we often make as Christ followers is we disconnect our emotional health and maturity from our spiritual health and maturity. 
And you, you just cannot separate those two things. Our emotional maturity, maturing as an emotionally healthy person, is maybe the most important part of discipleship. And so you cannot be a mature disciple of Jesus while remaining emotionally immature. So we, what we're doing is we're talking about the fullness of the great commandment in these seven weeks on this journey. In the great commandment, Jesus said this. This is the beginning of it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Like holistic, like we cannot fully love God without the, the, the will, the emotion, the mind. And then one of the other theme verses is Romans 12 too. Do not, and this is, we're going to see this verse come alive today. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as we talked about last week, we, we're in a mind crisis, an emotional, mental health crisis in many ways. And so this is vital information to walk through. So let, let's continue this mind renewal. We started last week uh, in this way. Here, here's an emotionally healthy truth that, that cuts across the timeline of Scripture, as we're going to see in just a moment. And, and this is where we have to go next in becoming emotionally healthy disciples. And it's extremely simple. As I throw this statement on the screen, I don't think anybody's going to push back initially. If you're watching online or in the room, uh, we're not going to question this initially or whatever, but as we go deeper... There's going to be a tendency, this is enter at your own risk, there's going to be a tendency to push back some. But here's the truth. Our present is shaped by our past. Or another way of saying it, who you are is shaped by where you come from. There is a cause and effect relationship between the culture you were raised in, area you come from, socioeconomic upbringing, lifestyle of your parents, key events in childhood, key issues in your family line, and who you are today. And this is for bad things and good things. Our, our present is shaped by our past. And in order to move forward in becoming emotionally healthy disciples of Jesus, we must go back. That's actually the title of today's talk, Going Back to Go Forward. And, and Pete Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, we introduced that book a little bit last week. Some of you told me you got the book. That's awesome. But he says this in the book. Emotionally healthy people understand how their past affects their present ability to love Christ and others well, the great commandment. They've realized from scripture and life that an intricate, complex relationship exists between the kind of person they are today and their past. Numerous external forces may shape us, but the family we have grown up in is the primary and except in rare instances, most powerful system who will shape who we are. And Pete Scazzaro explains family as your extended family going back three to four generations. And, and this is both scriptural, as we're going to see in depth today, but also scientific. I, I did not know about this until this week. There is a new field of research, I think it just kind of started to gain traction in 2015, called epigenetics. We actually, we actually have an epigenetics expert that's here today. I'm going to invite, I'm kidding. No, I didn't know anything about this until, until this week, but here, here's what it is. It's the theory that our very genetic code is influenced by the environment we, environment we grow up in. Meaning that we aren't just the byproduct of the genes of mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. Our genetic makeup is also influenced by did you grow up in wealth or poverty? And, and what was discipline like in your home? And, and was there trauma? And, and was, was your childhood good? All, all those kind of things. And this was crazy to me. They, it, within the research, they did a study of Holocaust survivors at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. And they, they studied several Holocaust survivors and their families. 
And, and they discovered a stress hormone that was found in every survivor of, of a concentration camp that was studied. And it was unique. This was a unique hormone to Holocaust survivors. The Holocaust survivors had different stress hormone uh, profiles than their peers that predisposed them to anxiety disorders. Then they tested their grandchildren, or their children, their grandchildren, and in some cases, great-grandchildren. And in the majority of those studied, they found the exact same stress hormone in all four generations. The trauma of that experience was literally passed down through the genetic code from one generation to another. So again, one of the first things we have to do in this emotionally healthy disciple journey in our apprenticeship to Jesus, that's another way of saying it, is dealing with our past. We have to go back and identify the patterns we've inherited from our family of origin and cultural upbringing. We have to identify the coping mechanisms that we've developed to deal with emotional pain. And we have to identify where these things are out of sync with the way of Jesus and and bring good things forward, but break the negative patterns, the generational curses, so that we can move forward. Doesn't this sound like fun? Doesn't this sound like a fun week? No, like I said, this is, this is tough. This is, enter at your own risk. And again, I'm, I'm sure like, some of you already, epigenetics, like what is that? You're already like pushing back on this a little bit, mentally, maybe even emotionally. So let me, let me deal with maybe some objections we have here at the beginning before we, we dive deeper. Um, and, and, and by the way, we're, we're going to look at a lot of scripture in just a minute. So you might get your Bible app or your Bible ready to follow along or you know, be ready to write some verses down so you can look them up later. But before we dive into that, let me, let me address just three objections you might be having right now. Here's the first one. Maybe you're thinking, but, but aren't we supposed to forget the past and look forward as Jesus followers? And, and let me start addressing this by saying, some of you in the room or online, like you couldn't forget the past if you wanted to. But maybe this is a thought, like you've maybe heard Philippians 3.13 where Paul writes this and, and, and this is one of those verses we think about when we think about this objection. But one thing I do, Paul, church planner, he says this, forgetting what is behind and straining toward it, what is ahead. That's what Paul said. So aren't we supposed to just forget the past and, and move ahead? Well, actually, and I would encourage you to read Philippians 3 in its entirety this week, Paul is not talking about what we're going to be talking about today. He's not talking about family of origin and past trauma and and things that we want to carry forward. He's talking about his credentials and his education as a Jewish man, a Roman citizen in this chapter. The context of this is totally different than what we're talking about today. Actually, when we follow the threads of Scripture, which we will in just a moment, it brings to light very vividly the impact our past has on the present and future, even past going back multiple generations. The most quoted verse of Scripture from biblical authors by biblical authors, meaning like biblical authors go refer back to this verse more than any verse in Scripture. Like they quote it, at, like the Bible quotes itself, is, is Exodus 34, 7. And we're going to talk through this in story form in just a moment. This is God speaking to Moses, and this is very intense. God says... But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And there's more to this verse than this. There's hope, okay? Don't lose hope yet. There is hope, and we're going we're gonna to find it out today. We're going to look at this in context. 
at the very end. But there is definitely a scriptural backing to going back and dealing with the past, bringing forward what's good, cutting off those generational curses so that we can move forward. So there's that, there's that objection. But maybe you're, some of you are thinking, well, maybe it's not bad to, to go and deal with the past. But maybe you're simply thinking, but you know, I, I, I don't need to revisit the past. Like, I, I come from a long line of awesome sauce, man. I'm, at, I'm like fourth generation incredible. And, uh, and I, I get that objection somewhat. Like, I, I have some great heritage. Uh, I, I've shared before, my mom and stepdad modeled so much to me about what it means to follow Jesus. And, and, and although the church culture I was in, I grew up in, had its struggles, it, it really did instill so much good, so much good in me. But here's the deal. No matter how great your family of origin is, even going back three to four generations, every family is dysfunctional. Like, I could visit your family for Christmas dinner, and there are topics I could bring up, and I guarantee the level of tension would elevate in the room. You're like, that would be very simple, very easy for our... You don't even have to bring up a topic. There's already tension, right? But it, So all of us walk into adulthood with at least some emotional baggage from our family of origin. And as a dad, I hate this. I, I know no matter how hard I try, I'm going to fail. And even if I stopped failing from this day forward, it's already too late. I've already failed so much already. I'm going to wound my family and hurt them and, and shape them in ways that are contrary to the way of Jesus. And hopefully I pass on way more blessing than sin, but I'm, I'm going to fail. We're all going to fail. We're all going to mess up. So honoring our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents doesn't mean turning a blind eye to the past. Honoring our, our family of origin, it's identifying all that's good and carrying it on and cutting off the things that, that don't line up with the way of, of being an emotionally healthy disciple. So that's two objections. Here's the last objection. You're not struggling with there's nothing to address. You're like, there's so much here to address. I'm not sure I want to do this. I'm not sure I want to go back there. And if that's you, I gave the warning at the beginning. Enter at your own risk. That's okay. If you want to sit this step out, we're not going to shame you for it at Revolution. But just realize... If, if you don't deal with this part of your emotional health, it will not go away. And all you can do, if, if you skip this step, is medicate it through a drug of distraction. Whatever your drug of choice is, we all have it. Overwork, sports, hobbies, Cobra Kai on Netflix, alcohol, pot, substance abuse. I mean, or, or even deep biblical study and watching tons of sermons and and, and, you know, praying. Anything can become a distraction for emotional pain from our past. Even good things can. Even good things. So start this journey when you're ready. But if you're tired of symptom management, we invite you to join us in this step of being an emotionally healthy disciple. So with all that being said, let's look at a biblical family that really brings to light Exodus 34-7. And then let's, let's figure out how we can break this verse from our lives and our families. So if you want to follow along, again, we're going to look at tons of verses. We're going to really bring it to life. It's Genesis 12, though. Genesis chapter 12. Here's how it starts. We're going to go all throughout the book of Genesis, very first book of the Bible. So Genesis chapter 12, here's how it starts. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So God's like, Abram, I want you to kind of reset things. Like, go to some place you're, you're not familiar with, start over, start over right here. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'm going to make a new family line from you, Abram. 
I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him. So Abram gives up everything to follow after God's assignment, God's calling on his life. But he had some problems. He didn't have it all together. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And some of the ladies are like, man, what a sweetheart. See, honey, you need to, that, that, that Bible guy, you need to be more like that Bible guy right there. Hang on, there's more to it. He realized how beautiful she was, so, so he's like, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me and let you live. And that's not good for me, babe. That's not good. So say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. This is the weirdest self-preservation strategy ever, right? It's the redneck self-preservation. Say you're my sister, you know, okay. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful woman. They, like, how you doing? That's, when, when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. So Abram makes money out of this whole deal. This is just awful. This is horrible. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram, or Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. You gotta love how women are treated in this time period. So, so sorry, ladies. So sorry. But we, we find out really early on that Abram is a manipulator and a liar. He lies about his relationship with Sarai, which puts her life at risk in order to save his own skin and make money. This, this is awful, right? So let's move ahead in the story. Even after that, God is still at work in Abram's life. That's the grace of God. It's incredible. It, like God is so at work in, in Abram and Sarai's life that he changes their names. Abram becomes Abraham, which is father to father of many. That's what his name means. Sarai becomes Sarah, which means princess. Like they, They're blessed way more than they deserve. But the story continues in chapter 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. What an absolute turd, right? I mean, new name, same sin. The exact same thing happens again. Like, this isn't a one-time slip-up. This is becoming a deeply ingrained, ongoing pattern of sin. And get this. Because Abraham doesn't deal with it, it gets passed down from father to son from one generation to the next. Let's move to Genesis 26. Six chapters later, Abraham now has two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. There's some sin involved in that as well. The, the sons hate each other. There's extreme sibling rivalry because Isaac is the favorite son of Abraham. And, and so I, we get a story of Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. It says, Now there was a famine in the land. 
besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Sound familiar? The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So he listened to God, right? But when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. Because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought, you know, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. And Abimelech wasn't born yesterday. He'd been through this whole thing with Isaac's dad. He's like, that's not how a brother touches a sister. I hope that's not his sister now, right? So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. That's a jerk move, dude. Like, why did you say she is my sister? And Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Isaac does the exact same thing as his father with the exact same king in the exact same city. He is trapped in a pattern of sin, generational sin. Remember our, our theme verse, Romans 12 two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. He's trapped in the same worldly pattern as his father. And guess what? It doesn't stop with Isaac. It gets passed down to the next generation from father to son to grandson. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. They hate each other. Massive sibling rivalry because Jacob is the favorite son. And so Jacob comes to his father Isaac. Isaac is advanced in age. He can't see very well, which was a common problem for elderly people at this time. And here's his real quick story in 20, chapter 27, next chapter. He, Jacob, went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son. Isaac answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Blatant lie. And the lies keep coming. I've done as you have told me. Please sit down and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Would that deer just like run to you? How did you get the, the, the game? The Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. And, and we could read more of the story. We, there's, there's no need. Like there, lie after lie after deception after deception. And, and what you notice is, like as, as each generation moves on, like this generational pattern of sin, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Jacob becomes a con man. His name means deceiver in the Hebrew. And guess what? It doesn't stop at generation three. Let's go to Genesis 37. We're now at generation, what is it? Everybody awake still? Four. Yeah, generation four. And generation four is not two sons, it's 12 sons, but it's the same pattern. Isaac has a favorite, or Jacob has a favorite son named Joseph, and there's extreme sibling rivalry. Here's what it says. Now Israel, because Jacob changed his name to Israel, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he had made an ornate robe for him. <clears throat> when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and could not speak a kind word to him. See, this generational curse has been passed down. Again, this isn't normal everyday sibling rivalry. This is intense, like sin-related hatred. Well, let's just see what happens. Verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern. They had just 
thrown their brother into a pit and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. They sold their brother as a slave. By the way, the Ishmaelites are the descendants of the other son of Abraham, Ishmael, that was conceived through sin. This is a massive web of brokenness that I think we just get glimpses of in the text. Verse 31, then they got Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood, then they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, hey, we found this, Dad. Examine it to, to see whether it's your son's robe. I mean, it looks like it. I, we don't, we're not sure. I mean, these guys are con men, manipulators. Jacob recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then every one of Jacob's sons but one. They're all in on this. They're, I guess there's one named Benjamin, that, he, he, but he doesn't have the courage to stand up for what's right. Every single son but Joseph. So here, here are some of the generational curses and patterns that are being passed down. Lying. I mean, that's, that's an easy one. Manipulating, it's so easy to spot in the text. Mistreatment of women. We don't, we don't have time to dive into how we see that in every single generation. Self-preservation. Favoritism. This is a generational pattern of sin passed down, uh, and, and it causes extreme sibling rivalry. Again, um, <clears throat> Abraham favors Isaac over Ishmael. Isaac favors Jacob over Esau. Uh, Jacob favors Joseph over the other sons. And Ishmael has to go away forever. Jacob steals his brother's inheritance. Joseph's brother's sell him into slavery. It gets worse and worse and worse as it continues on. And, and see, let's put those sin patterns back on the screen for just a minute. These are unique sin patterns within the lineage of Abraham. But this idea of sin patterns passed down is not unique. But here's what's awesome. And I, w I wish I had 15 more minutes where we could dive into this more. Maybe we will this week in some video or something. But you can read it this week, Genesis 37 through 50. Joseph breaks the pattern. Joseph tells the truth even when it hurts. Joseph literally runs from opportunities to take advantage of and mistreat women. Literally runs away from these opportunities. Joseph lives and leads to please God, not preserve his own life. Joseph doesn't play favorites. He does what's right for the whole, and even though Joseph was the victim, he intentionally restores the broken relationship with his brothers. He is the intentional reconciler, even though he was the one that was sinned against. He's the initiator of reconciliation. So what do we do with this? How, how do we become the Joseph, right? How do we do this? It's simple, but very hard. We have to discover the patterns in our past, and carry the good on with us, but break the sin patterns. And here it is. You cannot change what you're unaware of. So we have some major homework here in week two of this journey that we're on. Again, this is for those ready to take this step. If, if you're ready to transition from stone-cladding disciple to building our life on the bedrock of Jesus. If you weren't here last week, that might not make sense, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a genogram. And a genogram 
is a visual map of your family tree used to identify patterns in your family line, both good and bad. And I've actually been working on this for a while now. This is not something you're going to accomplish this week, by the way. I've been working on this quite a while with my family. Hope to finish it this summer, actually, in some different ways. But th- th- so this is not a get it done this week kind of assignment, but we can start in a big way this week. And, and uh, just a few other things to share on this. <clears throat> this is not about airing out your family's dirty laundry and blame shifting everything to your family of origin and removing your own personal responsibility. If that's what you start thinking through this process, you've done it wrong. Okay? Also, if you get extremely angry on this journey and that anger begins to simmer and, and stay, you're, you're moving too fast. You probably need to slow down a little bit because this should ultimately bring us to a place of repentance, compassion, love, and prayer. Repentance, compassion, love, and prayer. So here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, what, what I need you to do is grab your smartphone. Even those watching online, if you're using your smartphone to watch this, you might have to write this down and, and do it in a minute. Tomorrow, we're going to be sending out two free genogram tools to everyone that's in our system, that's connected with us. So it's the beginning of a new year, pretty much. So we want to update information to make sure these free tools are going out to as many people as possible. And by the way, if you've never been on text alerts or email alerts with with Revolution, we're not going to bombard you, but we want to connect with you. There's going to be all kinds of tools that we're going to be sending out through the next six weeks. So if you'd like to be part of this, which we really hope you will, you just grab that smartphone. And and even if you've done this before, even if we have your information, we want to update it all this week. So we want everybody to do this. Just real quick, it's going to take 15 seconds, I promise. You're going to text the word CONNECT, we say this every week, to 574-498-2233. Do it right now. Everybody just grab it. Just, let's just do it right now together, even those watching online. Let's just all do this together. A, a quick, like you're immediately going to receive a text back. That's going to be a 15-second form update for your information. So you can just do that really fast. 15 seconds to make sure we have the, the phone number we need and the email so we can send these tools out to you so we can partner together. We want to partner together in this discipleship journey. If you want to do this afterward, I understand, but I'm just hoping we can all take this step now because this is, these, these, these tools, like, if we don't apply this, if we don't live this, today was just information that's not going to make a difference. We have to take these next steps. So, hopefully you take that next step. And as the band's coming out, um, we, we've, we, this is, like I said, this is difficult. And you're probably not thinking right now, Man, this is exactly how I wanted to start 2021. You know, we were so looking forward to a brand new year. This is exactly what I wanted to do. Just go back and remember the past as we start a new year, you know. Go back and remember that moment where dad walked out on our family in third grade and feel the pain of that again. Well, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to, I want to call grandma up and ask if she was promiscuous in high school. That's, that's how I wanted to start my year. Grandma, were you a hellion before you met grandpa, you know? I get it, man. This is uncomfortable stuff. This is difficult. And, and there's a right way to do this. And the tools we're going to send out are going to help with that, all of that. There's a respectful way to talk with grandma, right? And talk with some trusted friends to help. But again, if you've been stuck in an orbit or a pattern, it's, and, it, and you want to break it, you want to move forward, it's time to go back so we can go forward. Because here's the promise. Remember that verse in Exodus 34? 
That verse about third and fourth generation curses, well, here's that verse in context. There's way more to it than what I read before. Here's what God speaks to Moses that day. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Check it out. Check this out. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. There is so much hope, so much hope, if we will do the hard work of going back to go forward. So let's stand together. This is going to help us right here. We're going to sing a couple songs. I hope that this just challenges, inspires, prepares us for this next step. Our prayer room is going to open right now. You can turn your seat into a, a time of prayer if you'd like. If you're watching online, turn that couch into like an altar of prayer. Let's just, let's just start this journey, this st second step, with prayer and praise today. Let's just sing out together.